Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. So glad you could join us. You're listening to part seven of our series, The Birds and the Bees. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Man. Come on, man. Anyone excited to be in church today? If you don't mind standing for a moment, uh, we are in a series. Come on, somebody. Uh, talking all about sex, creation, and relationships. And today's a good day because we're talking all about sex. Less. No one shared. Okay. So we've been in Genesis uh, for most of this series. We left last week. Guess what? We're back today. Come on, somebody. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. It says, And the Lord God made a woman from a rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. I want us to lean into this part here because I'm going to hit on it a lot today. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one. Someone shout one. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What I want to do today, I don't know if it's a title, if you're note-taking people, you can write it down anyways, but today what I want to do is I want to have the sex talk. The sex talk. You guys can find your seat this morning. Let's put our hands together one last time. Come on. So, so glad you guys could be here at our 9 a.m. service. Everyone watching online, everyone listening, so glad you could be here. We are in part seven uh, of a series called The Birds and the Bees. Can you make some noise if you've heard any parts of these series? Now, uh, as I said earlier, we are a church that is growing. And what that means is every single week we have new people coming through our doors And I'm also well aware that even those of you guys that call this place home may not have been here all seven weeks. But that is why each and every week I like to ask who's been here. And I also like to say, if you've missed any parts of this series, go and check them out online. Now, today's message, a little bit different. And if you've not heard the other messages, it's okay. You're going to be okay. But... What I'm doing today is I'm actually kind of backtracking through the last six weeks, and I'm going to look at texts that we've looked at before, but what I want to do is I want to look at every single text today through the lens, very specifically of sex. So today, what we're doing is we are having the sex talk. Um, Everyone, if you're excited, come on. Some of you guys are like, I'm sitting beside my parents today. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Pastor. I'm going to kids' ministry. Um, so, just by a show of hands, how many guys in this room, uh, at one point in your life, uh, your parents ever gave you the talk, the sex talk? <laughs> okay, not a lot of people uh, in this place. Um, so, for, for, for those of you guys that, that got the sex talk, uh, that raised your hands, and maybe if your parents are good, or if your parents are in the room, um, for their own ego, you can raise your hand for this next question. But how many guys that, that got the sex talk would say that I got a really good one? <laughs> Come on, let's go. 
couple people. Rest of us, okay, there was no hands today. Just a couple, I guess. That's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> my, 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 I thought like everyone was going to raise their hand, but um, that's okay. So what I want to do today, uh, <laughs> especially because like no one raised their hands, um, is I want to have the sex talk. And, and I was going to say I want to specifically have it for those of us that maybe we had a talk, but like it was never satisfying or like our parents never really went deeper, or I guess, as the hands indicated, maybe some of us have never gotten the sex talk before. And so I want to go through and look at it um, through the lens of scripture, but also through the lens of how my brain works. Now, this is probably, I guess, self-explanatory, but every single week, you always get how my brain works. That's just how it rolls. But in order for you guys to understand me, um, I, I want you guys to understand a little bit of what I love and a little bit of what I hate. So what I love um, is I love to go on like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and read comments. I just, I, I enjoy it. Because um, half the time, I'm always like, I can't believe people are saying this publicly. <laughs> like your face is beside this thing. Um, and you guys ever seen like when, when someone tags their friend in something and you're like, you know, we can all see this, right? Like, <laughs> What's going on? So I was reading Facebook comments this week, and I had a guy on my Facebook um, who, in particular, he was someone that I guess believed in God, and he would now say that he no longer believes in God. What I find interesting is that this guy who doesn't believe in God, everything he posts is about the God he doesn't believe in. But I digress. So I'm creeping his page this week, looking at some beef in the comments. Um, and he said something to this extent. He said, if God is real um, and God is good, yet there is evil and suffering, that means that God isn't real. That's what he wrote, which, to be honest, is a very typical um, objection to, to God. And I would encourage us as a church, we should probably have an answer for that question. Um, we're talking about sex today, so I'm not going to give you the answer. Now, here's what I hate. A Christian decided to chime in to this guy's objection. And his, all he said was, God is love. And he quoted scripture. And that really bugs me. Not because God isn't love. It's because that's not what he's asking. <laughs> like he's got, he's got some real questions. And you're just telling him God's love, bro. That's all you gotta know. So that really kind of cheeses me off because I'm someone that I don't like answers that aren't satisfying. So, take that back. That's a whole, you want, we can talk later about God and evil and stuff. But today we're talking about sex. And so, I don't want anyone, um, especially for those of us in church, to feel like we've never got a satisfying answer to God, for why God has designed sex the way that he has. And so, my hope today is that we can go into scripture and actually get a satisfying answer for why God has designed sexuality um, in the way that he has. That's what I want to do. And I think that why I want to do this in church, even if it maybe feels uncomfortable, some of us are like, should you really be talking about this pastor from the front? Um, here's what I know to be true. Uh, if we don't talk about it here, that doesn't mean that people aren't going to talk about it. And we're in a culture now, especially for young people, that the vast majority, and maybe some of us in this room as well, judging by our hands, the vast majority of us are learning about sex from places and from people that probably don't have any business teaching us about sex. 
there's a generation, come on somebody, that is going to learn about sexuality from porn and TikTok. And so I want to hopefully at least show us what the scripture says, because I think there's an ironic truth right now where we as a people have access to information at abundance. We are gluttons when it comes to the amount of information that we consume, yet the ironic part is that most of us are starving. And so today I want to show us sex but God's way. Sounds good? So whatever we're feeling, it's okay. It's going to be good, maybe. So, last couple of weeks, I want to bring some stuff back. So, one thing that we have said over and over again is we've looked at Genesis chapter 2, and from that, we have pointed out God's ideal for sex. Three things. You guys remember this. God's ideal, God's design. Heterosexual, number one. Uh, Number two, uh, one flesh, exclusive. We said monogamous. And then number three, naked, without shame. Now, a lot of us, I think, if we have had some sort of Christian sex talk, we've probably heard about number one and number two, right? I.e., sex is designed for marriage between a husband and a wife. And a lot of us, like, that was the extent of our sex talk. Son, wait till marriage. Daughter, wait till you get married. See you guys in five years, right? So what I think a lot of us miss, number one, is there's some deeper stuff to that. But I think number three is really, really important. Throw it back up for one second. Number three was naked, without shame. And I think this is one of the biggest things that we need to understand when it comes to God's ideal version of sexuality. In God's ideal version of sex, it is without shame. Now, what's interesting is that the vast majority of us, some of us are even kind of feeling uncomfortable right now, we can't even think about sex or talk about it without there being a level of shame especially for those of us in church. Because I I think shame is interesting because for a lot of us when it comes to sex, like shame dominates, right? It's like, hey, sexuality, this is kind of shameful. This is private. And and there are parts, listen, that are private. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Some stuff we don't need to hear. But as a whole, the idea, especially if God designed it, it is not a shameful thing. Yet for a lot of Christians, our picture of sex is filled with shame. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, and this is sometimes in church, but a lot of times it's, it's more where our culture is going, when we talk about sex, there's literally, it's, it's shameless. And I don't mean like without shame, I mean like, hey, anything goes, doesn't matter. And, you know, you guys follow my linguistics there? Because it can be confusing. <laughs> Either when we talk about sex, I'm filled with shame, or I'm just shameless about it. I think God's ideal is that there would be no shame that we can understand it with his heart. And so if I understand God's vision of sex, it is pure, it is beautiful, and it is without shame. So what I want to do is I kind of want to get down to the heart of it. So we're about to go. um, Note-taking people, Bible people, um, I usually am pretty focused when I preach on a particular text. Not today. We're going everywhere. So y'all ready? We're going to be Old Testament, New Testament, keep it going. So we're starting in Genesis, and we're going to be rooted there, but going a whole bunch of places. Genesis chapter 1, trying to understand about sex. So, again, we've read these texts in this series. Verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? God is creator. Verse 28, we haven't hit on this so much. It says God blesses them, and he said to them, Be fruitful 
and increase in number. Now, what a blessing is, a biblical blessing, a blessing is an encouragement, it is an exhortation, it is a call, right? We, we blessed baby Riley today, right? That was what we were blessing her. Now, a lot of times when we think of blessings, we say like, the Lord be with you. May God, you know, light your path. All of these things. Here's what's interesting. God's blessing that he gives to Adam and Eve, maybe you missed it. He says, go and have sex. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> God blesses them and he says, be fruitful and increase in number. So here's my first point, and this might be self-explanatory, but I think it's really important as we begin our sex talk this morning to understand this. Number one, sex is God's idea. It's his idea. <laughs> Again, if God created everything, like, it kind of makes sense, but how often do we literally sit down and remember, hey, guess what? This whole thing, God created it. Because a lot of times, we have the perception that, like, sex is kind of like the devil's thing. Like, he's, that's his ideas. The devil ain't that smart. All he can do is counterfeit that which God creates. But God creates it. So listen to me. Our sexuality comes from God. Our sexual organs come from God. Our sexual desire comes from God. It's his idea. <laughs> One thing that we said... We say, if you guys remember this, this is a few weeks back, I told you, I'm retreading stuff. Our design reveals our destiny, right? And so God has actually given us this stuff. It's a part of our design. Now, here's what's really important, and I want us to lean in for a second, because God's sex is God's idea. He designed it, right, much like he's designed us. But guess what? What God designs, here's my second thing, he defines. Okay, come on, come on, come on. What God designs, he defines. And this is true of all creation. When God designs us, he defines us. God created mankind in his own image. What's he doing? He's defining us. Male and female, what's he doing? He's defining us. What God designs, he defines. And here's the great news. I need this. Because I don't always have the proper perception of myself. God says, I'm made in his image. I'm a child of God. Guess what? I don't always believe that. But the great news is for all of us in this room that have ever dealt with low self-esteem, that have ever dealt with insecurity, which I think is all of us, is guess what? God designed me, so he defines me. And so it doesn't matter what I think. I actually have more worth than a cow. Because God says so. I don't have to do a whole anatomy of a cow to know. God says, I have more intrinsic value. Why? I'm in his image. And what happens for so many of us, and I, I want to kind of shift our language, because a lot of us live with this language that says, I've had so many life-defining moments. You ever felt that? I've had life-defining moments that make me view myself one way. Some of us, we were cheated on. Some of us, we were abandoned. Some of us, we were bullied. Some of us, we were abused. And we viewed those as life-defining moments. And so I struggle to see myself as anything less than just worthless. I don't, I don't have, Harrison, I don't see this. But I, I want to shift our language a little bit. Because 
I do submit that all of us have had moments in life that have shaped us. But here's what I want to shift when it comes to our language. There's only one person who can define me. And it's my designer. So I know you've been through some things. I know you've had some life-shaping moments. But I'm here to tell you that no one has the power to define you except for your designer. And you want to know how he defines you? Ephesians 2, chapter 10 says, for we are God's handiwork. I like the translation better that says, we are God's masterpiece. So you want to know what that means? It means I know I've had some moments in life that have shaped me, that make me not feel worth it, that don't make me feel seen or beautiful or known or loved. But guess what? I don't have the power to define myself and neither does anyone else. I have a creator, I have a designer that says I am God's masterpiece. So guess what? My name's Harrison Chaka. I've been through some things. I have some insecurities, I have some doubts, I have some self-perceptions that just are not reality. And I don't always feel good enough, but the truth is it doesn't matter what I feel. Because the truth is I have a designer who has defined me. And that means my name is Harrison Chaka and I'm a son of God. That means I have value, that means I have worth, that means there are things inside of me that no one can take away. Come on somebody, and that's true for you too. Because the designer is also my definer. God created me so only he gets to label me. Now that's good news for myself, worth, myself, perception, but the same thing is true of my sexuality. The exact same thing is true of my sexuality. God defines it, not me. And here's why it's important, because life and sex are very similar. All of us have been through things that have shaped our picture of sexuality. Some of us at a very young age, and statistically speaking, the majority of us in this generation, especially as guys, were exposed to porn at a very young age. And so this actually begins to shape how I view sexuality. Some of us in this room, man, like we never, we never saw a healthy picture. Some of us had some bad sex talks. Sex is evil, dirty, wait till you're married. And these things begin to shape our picture of sexuality. Some of us in this room have been abused. And what that does is it begins to shape how we view sexuality. Some of us in this room, for as long as we can remember, we've never had this heteronormal attraction. This is all I've known. And so what do I do? When I, I know Harrison, I know God's ideal, but it doesn't, it doesn't line up with what I feel. Well, the great news, if you're here last week, remember we said we don't make feelings final. And the even better news of God designing and defining means that when things are ambiguous, meaning like I'm not sure, is this right or is this wrong? God gives us a straight line to follow. Because what you need to understand is that hormones are a crazy thing. They're a gift, but they're not God. <laughs> they lead us in a direction, but they're not a lamp unto my feet. And so a lot of us just follow the feeling. 
And I can tell you, if you're a young boy and you see a naked girl on the screen, there's going to be a particular feeling. I'm here to let you know that feeling isn't final. And just because something feels right doesn't mean it is, because the one who designed us gets to define us. And how God designs it, we've seen. What's the boundary that God gives marriage, husband and a wife? Genesis 2, verse 22, it says, The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. From the very beginning, God is giving them a very distinct line of sight. As if to say, I know what, you, I know, listen, y'all, you guys are going to feel some things. Some of the things you're going to feel are pure. Some of the things you're going to feel aren't. He says, so here's the map. This is why a man leaves his father, united to his wife. They become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2. This is God's ideal. This is God's design. The designer is my definer. Now, biblical people in the house, you're saying, Harrison, can we really develop a theology from one text? Most specifically, this is the Old Testament. When Jesus comes along, does he, does he roll this way? Because I don't even think this, like, yeah, that's cool for Genesis, but is this for, for Christians? Come on, do we still follow this? Let's go to the New Testament. I'm going to fly through some verses, and I want us to see a pattern. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we're actually coming back to this text in a bit. So when you're like, prostitute, what's going on? Just hold on. <laughs> Verse 16, it says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Okay, where was that said? Does anyone know? We just read it, Genesis chapter 2. For it is said, this is Paul in the New Testament. This is after Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5. Come back next week. My wife and I are going to be preaching Ephesians chapter 5. This is what Paul says again. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Where have we heard that before? Genesis. Okay, last one. Some of you guys are like, I don't even believe in Paul. You'd be surprised. Um, I'm just, I'm a red-letter Jesus guy. I only, Jesus doesn't even talk about sex. He just wants us to do whatever we want. Matthew 19. This is Jesus. The Pharisees are talking to him about divorce and remarriage. Jesus says, haven't you read? Now, where would they have read this? Just follow along. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Why does Jesus, why does Paul, why does Moses, why do they keep referencing this thing? Because maybe it's really important. And maybe despite how crazy humanity gets over the course of a couple thousand years, our shortfalls don't change God's strategy. And he's letting us know, listen, this is the design. This is God's 
ideal. It's confirmed from the beginning to the end. And here is the point. I need definition because life is constantly shifting. Because my feelings are constantly confusing me. Now, God said it. I wish we could just believe it. I wish I could just end there. Listen, man, keep it in bounds. God says so. But life isn't that easy. Now, we're going back to like week three. I think it was week three, maybe week four. Genesis chapter three. We've read this before. But I want to show us what happens and why it's not so easy to believe. Hey, God just said it. Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Now, we, we looked at this in the context. If you missed it, go, go back and watch it. But I want, I want you to just shift out, don't eat from the tree, and, and let's put in God's vision for sexuality. Because I, I know we've heard this before in our heads. Did God really say that sex is designed for a man and a woman in the context of marriage? Come on, would God really say, come on, who, who's heard this voice? Would God really say in 2024 it is still valid to wait until you're married? You think, you think God would really say that? You see, the trick of the devil is to get us to believe, and some of us were there, it's deep down, that ultimately God doesn't have our best interest in mind. That's the trick, to believe that God's way will inhibit, will hurt, will harm, will hold you back from life and life abundant. And so this is really important because how I view God will directly affect how I view my sexuality. Because if I see, because what the enemy wants to do, and some of us are there where our picture of God is that of the angry sky dictator that just wants to tell me what to do, that just wants to hold me back from experiencing pleasure. But we've learned in this series that what if God is actually our father? And what if he has a father's heart towards us? And a father's heart is always that of loving and protecting his children. Because if I view God as a dictator, dictators in some way are always trying to control my life. Pure and good fathers are trying to protect me. And so, as a father, what I know this is my next point about sexuality, is that boundaries are never there to prohibit us. Boundaries are put in place to protect us. Like, we live, um, we live on a, a main street. We live on Deer Ridge Drive. And uh, we've got four kids, uh, four years and under. And the girls, you know, girls, their brains develop a little faster. They're getting there. Um, but, man, there's days where I'm positive Judah on his little ATV bike thing. And he will just go straight into the middle of the road. Because, like, it's a downhill from the driveway to the road. And what I have to do is, like, as soon as he goes out, I have to say, Judah, stay on the sidewalk. And sometimes, like, I literally have to just stand at the end of the thing. Like, don't go on the road. And, and the girls, again, they're a little more advanced. They're getting it. 
But when they were younger too, I just had to say, girls, just you don't want, it's, it's dangerous on the road. Stay on the sidewalk. This, this is the safe zone. And I'm saying it not because I don't want them to have fun. It's because I want them to have life and I want them to have a long life. <laughs> and my kids never get mad at me, especially the girls. They, the girls understand now. Because no one ever gets mad at boundaries when they understand it. The question is this for our sexuality. Do I want to understand boundaries before I cross them or after? Because I promise you, you're going to understand them one way or another. And that's the deep hurt of sexual pain. Because I'm understanding in reverse, like, oh, that's why, that's why God said it. But what if God is a caring father? Because what I've realized is this. No one ever gets mad at handrails on the third floor. <laughs> Who put this barrier up here? I wanted to peer over to my death. You still live like that. So, so, so understand that when God gives us this beautiful gift that is sexuality, God puts boundaries not to prohibit us, but to protect us. So I want us to understand, well, what is, what's God's heart? What is he trying to protect us? What's he trying to keep in us that is pure and good? And so I want to go to Leviticus chapter 18. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when you get home, if you want to read a wild list of crazy do-nots for sex, read Leviticus 18. Just have some fun tonight when you get home. Um, like, people did that? Yeah, that's why there's a list. But before God gives them the list of the sexual things to avoid, the boundaries, God shares his heart. This is important because God's speaking to the nation, to the Israelites. Leviticus 18, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Now, it's important because he's defining who he is. I'm Yahweh, the relational God. Remember this? Like week one, week two? Like, hey, I actually love you guys. It's who I am. I am the Lord, your God. I'm not angry sky daddy. I'm relational God. He says, you must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. Because this is the context. He's bringing them out of, of, of a pagan place. He says, you must not live like they lived. They were kind of wild in Egypt. And it's like, hey, well, is God bringing them to somewhere better? Then he's like, you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Here's some bad sexual news. Doesn't matter where you're coming, doesn't matter where you're going, you're going to be surrounded by people that are kind of crazy. That's just the facts. If I'm, looking to, if I'm looking to culture to line up with my morality, I'm going to be really confused. So God just says, hey, listen, where, where you came from, Egypt, and where you're going, Canaan, just don't do things like them. Don't follow their practices. He says, you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. This is important. Here it is. He says, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. The person who obeys them, listen, life will be found in them. Why, why does God put boundaries in place? He's saying, listen, on the other side is life. Why do I keep my kids off the road? Because on the sidewalk is life. This text, man, when I read it, my mind went to John chapter 10, verse 10. That's where we were last week. Jesus says, I have come to give life and life abundant. Why does he give us boundaries? Life and life abundant. That's his heart. The devil's trying to always get in our head. God's trying to put these boundaries. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to curb you. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Is everyone following? 
I told you, we're on a roller coaster here, going through the whole Bible. And again, if you've been here, you'll remember some of these texts. So the devil says, man, does God really care about you? So it says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Genesis 3, when the woman saw the fruit, good for the fruit, pleasing to the eye. Do we have the text? Is it on there, Kels? I don't have it. Okay, it's Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, in your, in your minds now, if you've got a Bible, that's why you bring your Bible to church. In case the screen's crazy. When the woman saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. So God says, hey, here's the boundary. Don't touch it. Here's how a lot of us roll sexually. Well, I can. That's, that's good for food. Well, I can do this. I'm able to do this. God's given me some things. I can. And then pleasing to the eye. That's the hard one. And this, this, this is the trick of the devil, and I, and I can't stand that crafty son of a gun. <laughs> is that God's designed us beautifully. We're, we're beautiful creatures. We're, 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 this is wild, but there's lovely people in the world who aren't my wife. And that's God, not, not the devil. But the devil does this. is like, man, well, it looks good to you. Just do it. They, they look good. And that's how a lot of us, we get stuck. Because, like, I know, I know the boundary, but, like, I can. It looks okay. So here's God's heart. Why, 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 why? Okay, life, I get it, but let's go deeper. First Corinthians chapter 6. We were in Corinthians last week. I told you guys they're a wild church. People were sleeping with prostitutes, and Paul's kind of trying to correct the church. Look what he says. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. It's a weird train of thought, because he's trying to say, don't sleep with prostitutes. <laughs> he doesn't start with, don't sleep with prostitutes. He says, listen, guys, remember, your bodies are a part of Christ himself. Shall then I take a member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. You see, what he's saying is this. He's saying, when we are in the community with Jesus, if we are Jesus' people, he says, we're actually members of his body. And so my body, get this, is not my own. It belongs to him. But he, here's the even, I think, bigger implication that I, I think we need to understand is that my walk with God, my relationship, being a member with him, my body, my spirituality, listen to this, is connected to my sexuality. My spirituality and my sexuality are not separate. I can't, I can't break the two apart and think to myself, you know what? I'm going to have a great relationship with Jesus, but I'm just going to do whatever I want sexually. It just doesn't work. Why? Because he says your bodies, like our bodies, are members with Christ's body. You see, at the start, what I said is that God's vision for sex is without shame. And what happens when we sin sexually, in some sense, we are being separated spiritually from God. And every time that I'm living less than God's standard, I'm going to feel an intrinsic level of shame that's going to keep me away from God. 
And so why does God put boundaries? Well, to protect us. What happens if I cross the boundary? Well, the very first thing that you're going to see, it's not going to be dissent in your personal life or even in your relational life. The very first thing you're going to see is that me and God are going to kind of have some issues. I just, I can't seem to get close to him. I can't seem to pray. I can't seem to read my Bible. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to sit there. And I thought, it, I, I thought it was just my body. I thought I was just doing some things. But what Paul is letting us know is that my spirituality and my sexuality aren't separate. I've shared this before, but in church, there are far more women than there are men, statistically speaking, especially in North America. And I began to wonder, and this isn't a one-size-fits-all, because I think there's many reasons for it, but what if one of the reasons that men don't come to church is simply shame? It's like, I don't want to be in the place. And I was reading some statistics, and I don't need statistics to back myself up because I'm just, I'm a guy, and I've been there, and I've talked to people. But listen to this. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. Of young adults, 18 to 24, 76% actively watch porn. And they think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that on Tuesday, and hopefully I'll come on Sunday. But my, my spirituality, my sexuality, they're not separate. Any sexual, shim, any sexual sin <laughs> brings shame. It's an alliteration. All sexual sin brings shame. It's why, you know what, we're, we're dating, but we keep slipping up. It's not even slipping up anymore. I think we're going to move in together. But it's like I moved in together, and it's just like, man, it's really hard to, like, want to come to church. It's really hard to want to read my, because my spirituality and my sexuality aren't separate. And so what if the reason that God gives us boundaries is never to prohibit us, but always to protect us? Because what if life and life abundant was found in a relationship with Jesus? And my own sin, my own shame were holding me back from him. So why, do I, why, do, why does God give us boundaries? I think because my sexuality and my spirituality are connected. Second reason is this. Paul continues. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Um, already read that. Prostitute, verse 16. He says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body, for it is said the two will become one flesh. It's no coincidence that the two becoming one flesh is quoted over and over and over again. It's almost like they want to get our attention. Here's why God, I think, puts guardrails on our sexuality. It's because sex is inherently binding. In the way that God designed it, he has designed it in order that we as men and women in the context of marriage would bind to our spouse. And here's what's cool. If God is real, biology in some way should point to his way. If he is real. And what I think is cool when it comes to our sexuality is that there are so many biological clues that perhaps what God says is actually true. Number one is this, when we have sex, um, specifically as females, speaking like I am one, I'm not, but 
When women have sex, they release a chemical known as oxytocin. And oxytocin, um, among many of its functions, one of them is binding. So what's interesting is that when a woman breastfeeds, um, her body releases oxytocin, right? It's that skin-to-skin -skin thing to help you bind to your baby. It's almost like God wants mothers to love their children, I know. But the same chemical, come on, is everyone following? That is released when we have kids is also released when we have sex. So what Jesus says when he says, let no one separate what God is bringing together, he's saying, listen, I've actually given you something to help bind you to someone forever. That's the purpose. Now, many of us in this room, it's like, Harrison, I'm, I'm, I'm way past one person. What do I do? I'm just here to let you know grace is available, but I also want you to understand the pain that you feel. It's because I was created to bond. And so when the bonding situation is ripped apart or separate, like, it's going to hurt. Now, men, you know, it's like, oh, those females always bonding. <laughs> Not us. Lie from the devil. Uh, men, when they have sex, um, release a hormone called vasopressin, which essentially does the same thing. It's a binding chemical. It's a binding hormone. Why? Because God's not just saying, hey, I want the woman to get really emotionally invested. It's for all of us. I've shared this before. I didn't write it down. It just came to my mind. But um, what's crazy, and there's a stat for this, for men who go and see prostitutes, um, the vast majority of men will continue to, continue to go to the same prostitute. Why? If they're paying money already, they can go anywhere. Why do they, why do they go? Because what if God has actually created us to bond? And what if sex is inherently binding? And so the language that we get in scripture when it comes to sex is covenant. Sex takes place in covenant, not to restrict us, but to free us. And to say, hey, listen, God has given us something beautiful to becoming one, and here is the boundaries. And these boundaries are not to prohibit, but to protect. And so here's where he finishes, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, therefore, flee sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is anything outside of God's design. Paul says flee. You want to know what flee means? Run. Run. Come on, that man, like, have you guys ever, I, I, okay, I'm, I, this is not in my sermon notes. I'm going to let you guys know something. Um, Chrissy doesn't like it. Um, I have this weird thing where I love to scare my kids. Because um, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're chickens. Um, <laughs> so I got, got to toughen them up. Um, but one thing, one thing that I'll do sometimes, um, I'll just be like, we're just sitting there. And I'll be like, run! And then I'll get up and just start running away. And, and then like, and man, Judah, like I love my son, but he's just hilarious. He's like, ah, and he's running along. But um, <laughs> anyways, a side tangent. Um, the point is, flee, run, one in the same. What's the implication? Because Paul's not being a jerk like I am to my kids. <laughs> he's saying, listen, the reason you need to go in the opposite direction is not because there is anything in here that I'm holding you from that is life-giving. He's saying, this, it might seem good, it might look good, but listen, it's not going to give you what you think that you want. So he's like, run. And he says this, he says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You guys might have heard this before. It's like, all sin is the same. No, it's not. 
All sin has the same consequences. Death, come on somebody, but thank you, Jesus. But not all sin affects us the same way. And that's what he's saying. He's saying all other sins don't affect you the way sexual sin affects you. It's your own body you're sinning against. And he says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? I love this part. And Shiloh, you can come up and we're going to finish here. You are not your own. Come on, if you're in this place and you don't follow Jesus yet, man, I want to encourage you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. But for those of us that have made that commitment to follow Jesus, hear me. You're not your own. He says, you were bought at a price. You remember when I talked about God's masterpiece? That's, that's who we are. You know how God can call us that with a blessed assurance because of Jesus? Because he paid the price. Because he's covered our sins. We're not our own. He says, you were bought with the price. Look at this. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Because listen, here, here's how I want to land the sex talk. Because we as humans, man, like we know, sometimes we know the consequences and we know it's not good, but like our emotions and our flesh and all this stuff. So here's why I think that we can submit our sexuality to God. It's because he's trustworthy. It's because he paid a price. And so that means whatever relational season I find myself in, because get this, Every relational season has sexual boundaries. It's not like, when I get married, I'm free. No. It's the new boundary. But the reason I submit it to God, that my sexuality belongs to Him, is because He's proven Himself trustworthy. Because He's a good Father. Because He loves me. And because He's for me. And a father's heart is never to hold back, but always to give us life. So I, I want to stand for a second, church, and I, I want to do a couple of things here. Number one, I know for a message like this, it can bring up some feelings of pain, maybe some feelings of insecurity, regret, whatever it is. I want you to understand the beauty of Jesus is that every single day, his mercies and his grace are anew. And when the Bible says, let no man separate what God has joined together, that means in the flesh, I can never heal from my own wounds. But in the spirit, by the power of God, he's able to do something supernaturally. So I just want to say, just every head bowed, every eye closed, for someone today that needs to receive that supernatural healing, that supernatural outpouring of grace, Man, if that's you today, every head bowed, every eye closed, could you just open your hands up because I want you to receive something today. Second thing is this, for, for those of us that feel like, man, I'm just struggling to trust God's way in my relational season. I just feel desperate. I feel like I'm a slave to my feelings. If that's you, um, I just want you to also open your hands. I'd love to pray for you. So Father, God, you know the emotions that we feel when it comes to this topic because you've created us, you've created it. And so Lord, whatever it is that we are feeling, Holy Spirit, do something that is so far beyond what my words can ever do. Heal hearts. Mend relationships. 
God, for those of us right now in whatever relational season we find ourselves in, single, married, engaged, dating, whatever it is, and we're just struggling to stay in bounds, we're struggling to just trust you. Father, I just pray that we could see your heart, that you're a father that loves us deeply and is desperate for us to experience life and life abundant. So we just thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information or you made the decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect. Until next time, take care.